0: we're going into a new study, uh, new study series from today, Uh, we've been, we looked at spiritual warfare for the past couple of weeks and today we're going to enter into a new study, um, study on the book of Genesis. And this is a very important book. If you look at the timeline of biblical history, Genesis takes almost 60% of that space. It talks about a huge portion of history that happened before Christ came. So uh, it tells us a lot of things about how God created everything and what, is the, what did the first man do, how did, the, how did sin enter into the world. And it informs us about the journey uh, that, that Jacob made and how Joseph ended up in Egypt. It tells us about all those incidents that shape the entire course of history. So it's a very important book to study. You know, so as I was just preparing, I was thinking, should I do uh, the full book of Genesis? If we have to do the full book of Genesis, we need at least four, five months, because we have only once a week, right? So I thought, okay, let me just limit it to the first three chapters. We'll look at some of the most important concepts, and we'll, we'll study it for the next four sessions, just for the next four weeks, and we'll go into it step by step. Amen? Are you ready? Yes. yes. Okay, so let's get into this uh, study, Genesis chapter 1. I wanted to do the first two verses, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, but as I was studying, I realized chapter, verse 1 is good enough for today. So we're just going to do verse 1 only. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Okay, so the goal and objective of the next four sessions, including today, is that uh, we're going to look at these three chapters verse by verse, study what it means, and also look at the various theories that are used to destroy the book of Genesis. Because there are uh, a lot of of atheists and a lot of scientists who say Genesis is not a book of history. Uh, they, they say, how can the whole world, you know, everything can be created in six days? How can it all happen? And so they, it's a book that is highly refuted. And we're going to look at what are the theories that are used to uh, refute the book of Genesis and how we can tackle them. Amen. So we're going to look at it verse by verse, study what it means, and then also look at the various theories that are used to refute the book of Genesis. So let's talk about the authorship. Of the book of Genesis. So Mo- Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible. And the first five books of the Bible are called as Basically five books. Also known as the Torah in the Jewish tradition. So Moses is considered to be the author. And this truth is highly disputed. Because many say that Moses could not have written. It is highly impossible. And there are so many theories, hypotheses that are brought to say that Moses did not write the first five books of the Bible. So many argue that he did not even write Genesis, but someone else wrote this. There is a theory called JEDP. You can look that up. I'm not going to teach that this evening. Uh, This is basically a theory that disproves the authorship of Moses basically says that Moses did not write. And uh, this theory is quite a dangerous one because it is also taught in some Christian institutions. Because it sounds like a logical way to conclude that Moses did not write. Okay, uh, logically if you reason, maybe this may sound like Moses didn't write. Uh, so that this theory may sound true. But the truth is it has a lot of flaws in it. So uh, I recommend go home and just look up JEDP. If you don't want to look up, also it's fine. Don't worry, you'll get to heaven. <laughs> just, uh, just, just, just get to know it. It's it's good for your information. So basically, this is JEDP. That uh, it's a hypothesis that says that Moses did not write write the book. So, but there are clear evidences that are found in the Bible uh, that tell us that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So the first thing is this. One of the important things we have to understand is about the background of Moses. If you look at Moses' life, he was trained and he basically grew up in Egypt. So he was trained in the education, in the culture, in the arts of Egypt. Now, with that as a background, if you look at Moses' authorship, when he writes those five books, you will find elements or comparisons that are made to the land of Egypt. Okay? Okay. Let me give you some references. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 13, verse 10. Genesis 13, 10. Hmm. The Lord Zor- okay. So you so you see there's a comparison that's given here. What does it say? Like the land of, yeah, it is compared to Egypt. So that itself gives us a clue that the author who is writing could have, might have grown up in, the, in Egypt and so he is comparing it, this is how it is. You see, he is not comparing with Canaan, okay, he is not comparing with any other place but he is comparing it with Egypt, are you with me? So you, we see references to Egypt that are made in these verses and even in Exodus chapter 9 verse 31 and 32 Exodus chapter 9 verse 31 verse 31 and 32 can somebody read that? Mm-hmm. so you see all these name of crops that is used here the sequence of crops that are mentioned these are more relatable to an Egyptian way of agriculture for example if an Egyptian were to read that same verse it will make sense to him because even the very words that are used there is more towards their culture more towards their tradition you get what I am saying? But if if another person from the Palestine land or the Canaanites, if they were to read it, these terms would be foreign to them. Like somebody from the north might refer to crops as something different than what we would say it. And for them to read the terms, that is easy for them to understand, which means it's something that is close to their land, to their culture, and might have been written by someone who understood them very well. But for us it might be foreign. So all these crop sequences, the names that are given here are more original or more indigenous to an Egyptian culture. Are you with me? And also in the Pentateuch, another uh, thing you can observe is that there are more Egyptian words that are used in the Pentateuch than anywhere else in the Bible. Okay? There are more Egyptian words that are used than anywhere else in the bible even the very name Moses is not a Hebrew name even the very name Moses is not a Hebrew name so you will find a lot of names and words that are used that are more of an Egyptian word than a Hebrew word is that clear No, it was still Moses. The name Moses was is an Egyptian name because he was put in a basket, left in the river, and one of the king's daughters took him, and she took him and named him Moses because she drew him out of water. Okay, so people called him the name that was given to him. They didn't change that name. Okay, so it was not like oh you're from, you're named by an Egyptian, so we won't call you. It was not like that. It was rather uh, he he was brought up. He was trained, everything, you know, it's like, imagine. think of this as high school, his college. Basically, the prime years of his life were spent in Egypt. So people called him with the same name. Yeah. And so because of this background that Moses had in Egypt, he uses that same background to write the first five books of the Bible. So you'd, you would find words that are very common to an Egyptian culture in the first five Books of the Bible, so that itself shows that this is written by a man who is well trained in the arts and the culture of Egypt, and the Bible clearly says in Acts 7, verse 22. Can we read that verse? Dishan. Uh, just increase the volume and uh, audio hijack. Just as a block, just move that. Acts 7:22. So what does it say about Moses? He was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. That was his background. So he uses the same background and we find an evidence of that background in the first five books with which we can easily conclude that, yes, this was written by a man, was well-trained in the arts of Egypt, in the culture of Egypt, everything, but still a Hebrew. He writes it. And it is none other than Moses himself. Okay, now we're going to uh, go into the verse. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. What does it say? In the beginning, beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now we're going to break this down in English. In the beginning, God created created the heavens and the earth. I'm going to break this down and study what it means. So let's go to the first, next slide. The first word that we see in uh, English is this. In the beginning, in Hebrew, it is Bereshit, which means an absolute beginning. The word Bereshit means first phase, first step, and it's the absolute beginning of everything that you see. Now when the word Bereshit is read in Hebrew, it gives us this very clear understanding that this was the beginning of everything that we see, okay? We see the stars, experience life, plant, creatures and when the word Bereshit comes there it says this was the first beginning, this is the absolute beginning of everything that we ever see, okay? Uh, Everything that we ever experience in this earth. Now, if you look at the word Bereshit in Hebrew, uh, it, there is something interesting to the way it is constructed. In Hebrew, Bereshit is the first word and it is written without an article. An article is a and, a an, and the, right? Articles, yes. If, if there is a noun that is written without an article, that means it's a proper noun. We have to understand there's something important here. The way the word is written, Bereshit, in Hebrew, the, just the way it is constructed does not allow anybody to translate it other than the way it is written, okay? Because what happens is there are a group of people called the Long Agers who would like to believe and this is what they think. They think that the sun, moon, and the stars were created for a very long period of time And after that, the earth was created. That's what they believe. But if you look in the Hebrew, it says there was an absolute beginning, which means everything formed from this point onwards. There are many people who try to bring in theories saying, okay, there were dinosaurs that existed before this. There were sun, moon, and all the plants that formed before this. And only after that, the earth came. You know, they, they try to bring in too many theories. But if they read the Hebrew, it gives us an absolute understanding that there was beginning, and that was the only beginning to everything. And so the way it is written in Hebrew does not give room for any modifications or any additions to the meaning of Scripture. You see, you see how valuable it is? Now we may read it, better, Though, what does it mean? Who knows? It is only for other people. I'll just live my Christian life. No. The way it is constructed tells us that there is nothing else we can add to the meaning and it tells us there was just one beginning and that was the absolute beginning of everything. Plant life, solar systems, universe, galaxies, every life in this earth began from that point onwards. Amen. So, the word Bereshit itself is clear enough that there was an absolute beginning to everything that we see in our world today. Second, let's go to the next word. In uh, in the English, the next word is, in the beginning, God. Okay, so in the Hebrew, the word Elohim is used. Now, we have all heard of the word Elohim. It's not a very foreign word to us. Now, the word Elohim means God, deity or divine. It also could mean something that is superhuman. Okay, so when you read in the beginning God, or even in the Hebrew, Bereshit bara Elohim, what it means is that everything that began, began with God. He was the beginning of all things. So, earth, sun, moon, stars, lives, plants, everything that we see, God created everything. Amen. Now, this is simple to understand. Now, let me ask you this question: Was Jesus involved in creation? Yes. Tell me how. Yes. Okay, that's a good answer. Any more? Now, okay. If you say that, I will ask you. Give me a reference. John one one. Okay. Now. Even if you see in the book of Colossians chapter 1, Paul says he is the beginning of all things. For him, by him, all things were created that was made. Everything that we see was made by him. But why is it that Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 does not say in the beginning Jesus created everything? not yet come that's that's where the theological problem comes (laughs) we cannot say Jesus had not yet come or not yet formed or probably was playing in the playground (laughs) when God the Father was doing it no no we can't say that the question is okay the New Testament says Jesus is the creator okay there are so many references but why is it Genesis doesn't mention the word Jesus there in the first chapter one God okay Okay. Okay. Anything else? Anybody? Okay. There is Trinity involved, but we see the name God here. If the Hebrew language is so specific, then why didn't they make it clear? Later on, when it goes into creation of man, it says, "Let us make man." Right. But why isn't the first verse of the Bible not clear? You know, it doesn't say as very explicitly about Jesus. Yeah, Dishan. Okay, I'll go into the answer. <laughs> the word Elohim itself is plural for God. Okay, if there was a singular, the singular would be El, E-L, or Eloah. That's the singular word. The word Elohim itself is plural. You see how the Hebrew language goes. So it's very clear. In the beginning God as in God the Father, son and the holy spirit were involved in creation. So then you can validate everything else like you go into Colossians 1:16 it says For by him everything was made that was made. You get the idea? Then you have like a valid point to say okay Elohim itself is plural. If it was singular, it will be El or elohim You got it? Awesome. So the word Elohim, it gives us an idea of an awesome, faithful being having creative and governing power, majesty and omnipotence who is above the material world he created. Let me give you this definition. Just write it down. Just write down the key words. The word Elohim gives us the idea that God is awesome. He is faithful. He has creative and governing powers. He is majestic. He is omnipotent. And He is above the material world. He created Got it? So, the word Elohim is not singular, but it is plural, which tells us that the Trinity was involved in the process of creation. So Moses, you know, as he writes the book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, carefully chooses words. See, that's what the Bible is not written by people who are just random. It's not like a random collection of thoughts carefully, he picks the word Elohim, uses that to tell us that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were involved in the process of creation. He could have used anything, Eloah, El, to describe it, but no. There's another interesting fact I want to share from this word. See, the word Elohim is used exclusively in the first chapter of Genesis up to chapter 2 verse 4 okay so if you read from chapter 1 and go on to chapter 2 until verse 4 the word Elohim is exclusively used God created this God made the lights God made plants, birds, everything God, God, God but then when it comes to the second part of chapter 2 verse 4 it introduces this other name of God Yahweh Okay, I'll tell you why it is used. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Let me give you a small exercise, like a 30-second exercise that we can do right now. Okay, Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Are you there now? Yes? So leave this verse. Just go back. Turn on the lights, please. Yeah, just go back to, from verse 3. Back to chapter 1, verse 1. Okay, just go in reverse order. See if you can find the phrase Lord God. If you can find the phrase Lord God. Okay, let me do this. Uh, let's take a quick look at verse 4 of chapter 2. This is the of and the earth, mm-hmm. and the, earth. Mm-hmm. In the day that the Lord God. Okay, stop there. What does it say? The Lord God. Now just go back, leave this verse, go back to chapter 1, go back up to chap- verse 1 and see if you can find the phrase Lord God. Just go in reverse, see if you can find the phrase Lord God. I'll give you 10 seconds, you can quickly scan through. Yes, it only says God God. God, God, God did this, God did this. But when it comes to chapter 2, verse 4, it introduces the phrase, Lord God. And so the the word for Lord in Hebrew is Yahweh, or also translated as Jehovah. So the, the name of God, Yahweh, is a very personal name. It shows personal connection. I am the Lord your God. What does God say to the Israelite? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, which means saying, It's like, I'm your father who brought you out. I'm the father who held your hand. I'm the one who did that for you. See, the word Elohim shows the majestic, the awesomeness, the grandeur of God. But the word Yahweh shows that he's close to us. See, there are many people in our world today who say, yes, I believe God created, but there is no connection between us and God. But you see in the first two chapters of the Genesis, it introduces God as a personal one. So the word Yahweh, the God Yahweh, the word Yahweh describes to us that he is close to us. Yes? He is there for us. He is personal God. And see where it's used. Okay? Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Genesis 2, 4. This is the history of the heavens of the earth. Mm-hmm. Okay, you see, you can go home and read this, or you can just scan through it quickly. Verse 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, it goes on to talk about, yes, Lord God, and also talks about God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So the term Yahweh, that I am your personal God, is introduced before man is created and the task is given to him. In other words, the message that we get here is this. I'm not just a God who sits in the heavens, does everything, creates everything, but I'm also a God of relationship who walks with you, who walks in a covenant relationship with you. So, see, when we understand about God, when we think of Christianity, it's not a burdensome religion. You don't have to cross mountains. You don't have to cross hills and valleys to find your Savior. He will come to you. When you call on His name, You don't have to travel anywhere, but he will come close to you and he will lift you up. And we see this theme from the beginning of mankind. The word, the Lord God, Yahweh, is used to denote the relationship between man and him. Yes, you understood? You see how beautifully the writer starts with Elohim and then moves into Yahweh. So he uses a compound word. He takes Elohim, And he puts Yahweh. And so in the Hebrew it will be called Yahweh Elohim. The Lord God. The Lord God. Which shows that, listen, I am close to you. I am a God of relationships. From the beginning. It's not only when Jesus came that he became close to us. But even before that, there was God who is a personal one. So that's the beauty we see in Christianity. That it is the one. He is the one who is personal and close to us. So the word Yahweh itself means the one who always was, now is, and ever shall be. That's what it also means. Is that clear? Yes? Do you like it? Yeah? Okay. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. Let's go back into that verse. Look at that verse. In the beginning God and what comes next? created the word in hebrew that is used for created is the word bara okay and this word is very specific it's not just saying he created but this word actually means created out of nothing yes it simply means that god in the beginning god created which means he created out of nothing see when we read the english bible what does it say in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth but the hebrew goes on to say that he created out of nothing he spoke everything came into existence he didn't need something to help him to start the creative process he created everything out of nothing that's what the word bara tells us amen is that clear does the Bible make sense now? How many, how many times, you know, we overlook Genesis 1-1. It's like, who cares, in the beginning God created, we all know, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But there's so much more to it. You know, in the beginning God created, which means he made out of nothing. Everything that we see just came out of nothing. That's how powerful he is. Okay, and what does the verse go on to say? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earths. In the Hebrew, it is asamayim White haris. That's what the phrase is in Hebrew. Okay? There's an important thing to understand about this phrase because if you don't understand this phrase very well, there will be a problem. I'll tell you why. The phrase heaven and earth in Hebrew is a figure of speech called merism in which two opposites are combined to form a meaning of one all-encompassing element. Okay, how many of you understood? Say hallelujah. <laughs> I know you didn't understand. Okay, so in Hebrew, there's a figure of speech called merism. Okay, what they would do is, they would use words that are too opposite to each other. Okay, to describe the actual meaning. Okay, so the intention of the Hebrew author is to use the word universe. But unfortunately, Hebrew doesn't have a word for universe. So what they would do is, they would take one word about heaven, another word about earth, Earth, combine it two together and form one meaning. So if there was a word for universe in Hebrew, you would read this as in the beginning, God created the universe. You understand? That's how they write. For example, even, even in Hebrew, uh, there are not uh, like we, in the English, we have trillions, okay? Uh, billions, trillions. In the Hebrew, it's not the same way. In the ancient Hebrew, if they have to describe a huge number, they will say thousand upon thousands, ten thousand upon ten thousand. That's how it works in their language. So, what the author is trying to say is God created the entire universe by saying the heavens and the earth. So, you know, this this idea goes throughout the Old Testament. If you read. Genesis chapter 14 verse 19 One of you can take Genesis chapter 14 verse 19 and another person can take 2 Kings 19:15 and another person can take Psalm 121 verse 2 Genesis 14:19 another Yes, in other word, translation it says, creator of heaven and earth. Again, that, that Hebrew figure of speech is used. Hebrew figure of speech, speech is used to say that he created the whole universe. Okay. Second Kings 19.15 fifteen. Second Kings 19.15 Yes, you have made heaven and earth. Now this doesn't mean there's only heaven and earth and no stars. The whole idea is everything that is made is described in the Hebrew language as heaven and earth. Plant life, animal life, everything on earth and all the galaxies, the solar systems, the, the sun, moon, stars, everything was created. So it gives us an idea. So what is this? It's a figure of speech. So basically, you know, heaven and earth. Uh, Can somebody read Psalm 121 verse 2? Which means, my help comes from the Lord who makes, who made everything. Okay? It's written in the Hebrew language as heaven and earth. So, basically this term refers to the totality of creation, not just the earth and its atmosphere alone. It just says everything. The best word to say is the God who made it all. Okay? The most important truth about this verse you have to understand is that it's an opening summary to the entire chapter. Let's read verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1. I'll explain what I mean by that Okay, so you see this word the verse that says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then the earth was formless and void, was hovering. hovering. yeah, OK, what comes to you when you read these two verses? Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and then you see earth was formless. It's like it's saying God made the heavens and the earth and then it says earth was formless. What is it? Okay, that that is a very common theory called the gap theory. They say there's a, there's a huge time gap between verse 1 and verse 2. Okay, Any more thoughts? Let's start in Bible college. That's what was taught to me. It's like there's a gap between verse 1 and verse 2. See, we have to understand the literature of Genesis chapter 1 before we go any further. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is the summary of the entire creation. Okay? And verse 2 onwards describe how God did it day by day. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 gives us a statement that God created the heavens and the earth. It gives us a statement. And verse 2 onwards describes how God did that. You get what I'm saying? It, it starts with a summary. It's like a statement. This is what God did. And then goes on to describe how God did that. Okay? Now, if we don't understand this, if you don't understand that the first verse is a summary and second verse onwards is a step-by-step description of how God did that, what will happen is uh, there are so many theories that come. There's a soft gap theory, there's a gap theory, there's a classical gap theory. So basically what they say is between verse 1 and verse 2, Satan falls and so many chaotic things happen, so that's what the earth was, formless, void, darkness was over the earth. No, that's not biblical. What it is, is that verse 1 is the summary of the entire chapter, verse 2 is a step-by-step information of how God did everything. Over a span of six days. Is that clear? Does it give us a clear understanding of it now? Now, now we can read the Book of Genesis, which we're going to do in the next session. Okay, we'll start with it in the next session. I'm going to finish it here. Uh, any questions? Yes, Mike. I almost forgot and remembered again. (laughs) Okay, um, talking about heavens, okay, I read the word, I understand, God created heaven. How do I uh, explain heaven to a person who does not, you know, how do I prove that heaven exists? How do I... Prove. I can show Bible verses and all those things, but then... So, it's like, it's in a situation where somebody asks you, okay, tell me how you are saying that you will go to heaven. Yes, how do I, yeah. I can quote scriptures, but then, you know, how do I? Yeah, yeah. Uh, When it comes to heaven, you know, we don't have like a place in the sky. We can point to that and say that this is heaven. But by faith, we believe that heavens exist. And Jesus also said, I'm going, preparing a place for you. If it not, so I would not have told you. So he does all these things. So we believe in what Jesus said. Now the problem here is not in what you do not know. It's in the way the person is asking you. The person is asking you a religious question, but demanding a non-religious answer. You, You see the problem? They're asking you about how does the heaven exist. Now we believe the heaven exists because the word of God says. Now they're demanding a religious question and expecting a non-religious answer. To such a person, we have to say, see, first of all, your question is wrong. You know, it's it's like, um, how do I say? Like, my family is a doctor. I'm a pastor. They come to me uh, uh, posing a religious question, okay, but they're expecting a medical answer from me. I don't have it. The truth about heaven is that it's a place that we believe by faith. We haven't seen heaven, yet we believe. Okay, we haven't seen the room that we have in heaven, but yet we believe because the Bible says so. So it's a very religious thing. It's by faith that we believe. So if somebody comes and tells you that, you can just tell them, see, you're asking me a religious question, but demanding a non-religious answer, for which there is nothing. And tell them the question itself is wrong. Does that... Satisfying. Many times when you know when people ask you the question don't be quick to answer okay probe that question first and then see if it's a valid question and then answer. As Christians we are so kind we are so meek and so patient with people that any question they ask even if it's not a valid question we will still go find an answer and come and no don't do that. You question what they're questioning Make sure that question is very clear and then answer that. Okay. Yeah. So was this beneficial? Yes. yes. So Genesis 1, verse 1. If you read that, it will never be the same again. <laughs> it will like, make, make a lot of sense to you and that's how we are supposed to read the Bible. Um, so many things about the Hebrew language. Um, if you really want to study it, there's a there's an online uh, institute based out of Israel. They teach, but it's eighty thousand a year. It's but a lifetime investment. But let me also warn you: Hebrew is very tough. I I scraped through through Greek. I don't know how I passed, but <laughs> truly the Lord helped me. <laughs> but uh, it was fun, you know. Just reading John, was chapter one, verse one was it just you know opens your mind to understand okay there's so many details that I still don't know. Uh, The way the writers write it in Greek, it's it's brilliant. See, when you study the original language, you'll appreciate the effort that's put into the scriptures that we read. We read it in English and it's too simple for us, but those, you know, like Paul was a scribe, he was a Pharisee, he was a, a man who was trained highly in scripture. So many people, like scholars sit together, uh, write the words, like even, even the words um, um, exceedingly, abundantly, more than all that we can think, ask or imagine. In the Greek there is no such word. What Paul does is he takes all the majestic, amazing words puts it together to describe what God can do for you. He's taking words that describe how amazing, what amazing things God can do for you so, and, he, and he writes it exceedingly abundantly all that you can more than all you can think ask or imagine see that's how they use language to uh, inform us about god so if we can get a hold of that bible will be so much more fun to read amen let's close our eyes father in heaven we want to thank you for who you are and for the amazing things that you do in our life because of you lord we move We are still alive today. And Father, we are so grateful that you've brought us together to learn, to study and understand from your word. And we pray that, Lord, that you would enrich our hearts every single day with the power of your word. Remind us, Lord, that you are the only one, the absolute creator who made everything that we see. Help us to be rooted and grounded in your word, Master. Draw us closer to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So God bless you guys. I'll see you next session.